Good morning, uh, everyone, and uh, welcome to another Crossword Online message. Uh, this is our second Sunday talk that we're going to be doing. And this week we're turning to uh, Psalm 14. So Ludwig looked at Psalm four, uh, 13 last week, and this week we're going to look at Psalm 14. Um, so yeah, why don't we jump straight into the text, and then we'll just give a few thoughts and comments on it, and hopefully leave you with some questions to wrestle with. Uh, but let's read. Let's turn to Psalm 14. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do all these evildoers know nothing? They devour my people as though eating bread. They never call on the Lord. But there they are, overwhelmed with dread. For God is present in the company of the righteous. You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. So this is a quite a tough psalm this morning. Uh, it's not so uh, straightforward in the sense that it doesn't follow necessarily the, the particular pattern of, of a psalm in the sense that it has maybe a lament, uh, it has the question, uh, the wrestling, and then it comes to a point of praise. Um, but you can see elements of that perhaps in the text. Uh, but it's quite... Uh, Quite a strong and weighty psalm from the very beginning, uh, from the way it starts, uh, when it starts by saying, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And so it's quite interesting when you go and look into the Hebrew words for fool, uh, there are five different uses of the word fool, and uh, it varies in weight. Um, so you might, might have what you could call a simple fool, which is a person that can't necessarily discern between uh, what is foolishness and what is wisdom. Um, and that that's often uh, ascribed to a young or a youthful person. Um, so you can kind of see the aspect of, of foolishness in that. Uh, and then it goes all the way to the extreme of a person that just outright rejects God, uh, doesn't take any note of uh, what he knows and applying that to his life so he doesn't act out of wisdom. And so that kind of fool is actually the fool that we introduced to here. The, the word is Nabal, is the type of fool that we have here. And it is a person that outright uh, may know a lot, um, but even so will act on their own and do their own things, whatever is pleasing to them. So this is quite a frightening, in one sense, start to the psalm. And not only that, uh, the way the psalm does start, that... It's it's a heart issue. This is about what is happening in the heart. It is the fool that says in his heart that there is no God, which is quite interesting in the way it's phrased, because you would have thought perhaps it is the fool that says or the fool that speaks. But whatever you speak, 
naturally is something that actually flows from your heart uh, to some degree. Sometimes we fool ourselves, sometimes we pretend or say something different uh, to what is really in the heart. We try and disguise our hearts, um, but often you can hear what is in a person's heart uh, by what flows from their mouth. And this is quite a frightening thing, uh, especially when we start thinking about that about ourselves. So you can ask yourself the, the question, uh, what is my heart saying? So maybe that's the first point that we need to just contemplate over, is for you today, just think about that for a moment. What is your heart saying? Now, naturally, you might not be able to immediately think of what your heart is saying or be able to recognize what your heart is saying. But what I challenge you to do is listen to what you are saying in the moments where life gets difficult or when something happens that you didn't expect or when you almost don't have the time to weigh up what you should say or you think you should say and it just comes out. Um, I, I like to call it, it's those the stub the toe moments, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it. Those moments where you bump your toe and just something comes out. Uh, it's those kind of things. Uh, so when someone cuts you off unexpectedly in traffic, what comes out of your mouth? Um, when your husband or wife says something that you don't necessarily uh, want to hear or expect to hear, what comes out of your mouth? Uh, when your neighbor criticizes you, what comes out of your mouth? Um, sometimes we, we, we catch that before we necessarily say it. Um, but even in those moments, perhaps we need to wrestle a little bit deeper. Uh, in those moments where we are able to maybe catch ourselves from actually saying a thing, uh, what is it that you're thinking? What's the thought that's running through your head in that moment? And that's often an indication of our hearts. So what is your heart saying? The psalmist carries on, however, uh, in the second half of verse 1, and I'm going to read again for us. They are corrupt, their deeds are vile, there is no one who does good. Now, it was interesting, as I was wrestling and thinking through this uh, myself, I was thinking, shucks, uh, I, I so quickly want to exclude myself from, from this fool. I don't, I don't want to ascribe to this fool, it's not me. But immediately, uh, reading the second half of this verse, I, I contemplated over the word, what, what is actually meant by corrupt? Um, and it's such a strange thing because a corrupt action is an action that is done for personal gain. So anything that you do, a corrupt act is something that you do for personal gain. And I kind of couldn't get away from that. As I thought this through, I recognized that I'm guilty of even being corrupt myself. So the next thought is how many of your actions um, are for personal gain? How many of your actions do you do because it's the best thing for you rather than perhaps what is most glorifying to God? So that's an interesting tension that we create within ourselves in one sense. We, we're so quick to think about how can I benefit rather than how can God be glorified? It's scary when you start playing around with that. And, and I'm, I want to give you time to also just contemplate that and think it through. Where are those areas in your life where perhaps you think it through and you go, shucks, I have uh, 
done something here that is purely for my personal gain and I didn't think about the person around the person around me or maybe I didn't even contemplate God um, and that's frightening because it puts us more and more in this position of being this fool uh, that's spoken about here now maybe you like me and and you want to escape uh, as I said earlier from being this fool but the frightening thing is what David is about to go and say in verses 2 and 3. Let me read. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. And listen to these words. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. And this is frightening because I so desperately want to get away from it. But in these words of David, he makes it clear that no one is beyond this. No one is outside uh, of actually being guilty of corruption, of being guilty of having a heart that uh, does what it wants to do. And so that is quite scary uh, as we wrestle through it. And maybe these words uh, sound familiar, uh, sound like something that you have read before. And it should, because these are words that you find uh, Paul reiterating in Romans. So I'm going to quickly read for us in Romans 3 verses 10 onwards. It says, as it is written, there is no one uh, righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands there is no one who seeks God all have turned away they have together become worthless there is no one who does good not even one and then Paul carries on he says their throats are open graves their tongues practice deceit the poison of vipers is on their lips their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness their feet are swift to shed blood ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace they do not know there is no fear of god before their eyes there is no fear of god before their eyes this is a frightening uh, reiteration and and paul adds a couple other psalms and references into that but he just expands this uh, corrupted heart, this this deceitful and and uh, yeah sinful heart of humankind. Um, but the psalmist here and and David carries on here in in Psalm 14, and he says this: Do all these evil doers know nothing? The frightening thing is for us, we can't escape this. We can't run away from it because we so desperately want to say, well, no, 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 I. I, 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 well, I know God, well, then I've got no excuse. But if I say I don't know him, then I am wicked and I am the fool. So the psalm doesn't give us wiggle room. If you say you know God, then you're acting like the fool. And if you say you don't know God, well, you're still a fool. <laughs> it's a frightening way of uh, putting it. And and really what, what David has done here is he's just built... Such a well-constructed psalm that it doesn't give us room to get out. Um, but then the psalm does change in its tone, and it does change its emphasis. And so I'll read this for us uh, as we carry on in verse, uh, the second part of verse 4. They devour my people as though eating bread. They never call on the Lord. But there they are, overwhelmed with dread. 
for God is present in the company of the righteous. You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. And so David's focus shifts to this people, these people of God, in one sense, that are persecuted and suffering at the hand of the evildoers. And so this changes, in one sense, uh, a little bit of the tone of the psalm. But it gets us to contemplate, uh, how do we deal with those around us? And do we recognize that uh, everybody, in one sense, is created in uh, the image of God? And the way we respond and deal with them is a reflection on how we're responding and dealing with God as well. So this is really a... a it, it, it's an uncomfortable psalm. It leaves us really uh, scratching our head and, and uncomfortable with ourselves in one sense because we're trying to figure out a way of getting out of it. Um, but it seems that there isn't one. But needless to say, it's not all doom and gloom in the this, in this psalm. Uh, David does conclude with something very beautiful uh, in the way he paints the picture and the way he says it. So we're going to read that last verse 7. It says, Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores his people. Let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. So this is quite a beautiful image that's then painted. Uh, David calling out that salvation will come. Uh, so he brings up the, the idea of salvation into the psalm. This is a massive theme, massive idea, uh, which is good news for us um, because we understand salvation uh, very uh, a lot more perhaps or a little bit more clearly. And, and here David is calling out that salvation would come uh, from Mount Zion. And this, this Mount Zion image is not simply a place uh, but it is also the point at which God reigns and rules from. It is a stronghold of David, and it is also the seat in which God sits, the Mount, uh, Mount Zion, the seat of God, uh, and from where he will rule and reign. And that's a beautiful image when we contemplate that, because for us today we recognize that uh, David, from the line of David, came someone who brought that salvation, and that someone was Jesus Christ. So it's really amazing when you think of the psalm and how David has constructed it and, and how prophetic it is in one sense that he could say these things. Oh, that yeah. salvation would come from Zion. How beautiful his wording and recognizing uh, or being able to say that and how we see that today fulfilled in Jesus Christ who came out of, uh, came out of Jerusalem, came out of this Zion um, and so he came to bring salvation. And then he goes on uh, to point out how Jacob and Israel uh, would rejoice. Um, and, and that's beautiful because Jacob and Israel is the connecting point for us to, to, to recognize that this is, a, this is God's family, God's body, God's believers. And it is the generations that will flow from the promise that God made to, to Jacob or to Israel. And, and so they rejoice because salvation will then come uh, from Zion, which is also flowing not just in and moving within Zion, but flowing out of Zion and to the nations as well, which we will uh, also recognize um, 
if we just turn again to Romans. And so I'm going to read once again Romans. But just before that passage that I read early on, there's something incredible that's said. And I want to first highlight that, and then there's a concluding passage that I want to read in Romans as well. Listen to these words. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. So just before uh, Paul goes to quote these, these references of Psalm, he highlights the fact that both Jew and Gentile are all under the power of sin. But something incredible has happened, and there is good news uh, that flows from this. And so I'm going to read then just a little while later, uh, Romans 5 verse 9 for us, and what he has to say again. He says in verse 9, Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if, while we were God's enemies... We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And then he says one more thing that I want to read in verse 15 of, of chapter 5. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. This is really beautiful. It reminds us that... Out of uh, what David is saying as well in, in Psalm 14 here, that salvation does flow out. That all have sinned, all have fallen short, all have, uh, that there is no one that is righteous uh, except for the one that is Jesus Christ. So the good news for us looking back at Psalm 14 and, and as, a, as a church and as a family is to reflect on the fact that yes, we do fall short. So the first question that I proposed was to wrestle. What, what is your heart saying? Right? And then the next thing that I want you to wrestle with is, are you willing to accept the fact that you can't do this? Are you willing to face the fact that you are a sinner that is broken and that you will fail time and time again? But then in accepting and acknowledging that, are you willing to receive the free gift uh, that Christ has given us through his, his death and resurrection? His life that he offers us. And that's the beauty of it. Is that we are all sinners. There is no one in all of humankind that is uh, free of sin except for our Savior himself, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and that he gives us life as we accept and receive Him. And so that's beauty. That's really beautiful, is to, to really weigh that up and soak in that. So what is your heart saying? What's, a, what's the temperature of your life? What, what is your life telling you? What are your actions showing you? What are your words showing you? Are you willing to then own up to the fact that you've, you fail? We all fail. Time and time again we fail in this world. 
But it's not about how much you can get right. It's not about how much you can do. It's not about how, how much of a better person you can become. But it's about recognizing the best, the greatest person. Uh, and the only one that could accomplish that. And receiving Him. Accepting that He is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. So that's where the good news lies. It's, it's not in our effort. It's not in our failure. But it's in the acknowledgement that we need a Savior. Isn't that awesome? I think that's really great news. And I, and I hope that as you wrestle and read, take some more time and read through the psalm and read through, uh, through, through how David has put it together and actually makes you feel like you can't get away from the fact that you, you too are in desperate need of a Savior, uh, like he says there. And so may we today recognize, and especially as we, in actual fact, leading up to, to Easter, rejoice in the fact that Jesus Christ is risen and that that is good news for us because it makes complete his plan of salvation for us and the life that he offers us. Because he raised from the grave and because he has life, so we can too be raised in him and have life. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this uh, psalm, we thank you that we can wrestle with ourselves and recognize that we are broken sinners and that there is, there is nothing that we can do to escape that reality, but to purely confess and recognize it. And as we do that, to recognize that there is only one way uh, that we can truly escape uh, a life that is destined for destruction. Um, and that is through your son, Jesus Christ, who offers life uh, and who offers uh, atonement for our sin. So, gracious Father, help us to truly recognize uh, what our hearts are saying um, and that we are in desperate need of your salvation. And Lord, I pray uh, that we will soak in the good news of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Well, thank you for uh, listening. And I hope that you wrestle with this and uh, let it challenge you. And let it, uh, yeah, let it, let it soak in. Um, and as we go off into another week, I, I really hope and, uh, and encourage you to, to stand strong in Christ. And... Beyond that, I also want to add, uh, if you have any comments, thoughts, or questions, um, please send it to us, let us know, um, and we'll be happy to engage and chat and think it through. Um, but as from my side, uh, have, a, have a good day, um, and may God strengthen you in your walk. Uh, cool. Cheers. Bye.